Our sermon text is John 3, 1 through 21, which is on page 577 in the paper Bibles. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it, so that it may clearly, well, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. You be seated. All right. Well, our passage today is one that maybe some of you have heard before. It, it has in it probably one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, right? John 3.16. We see it you know, written on Tim Tebow's eye black, and it's on the, the signs that the crazy guys in the tea are wearing. Um, and probably a lot of us in this room, we may even have it memorized, and, and maybe not even from trying, but just because it's been in the air. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's, you know, that's a helpful verse. It's a pretty good verse to know. It's a relatively clear and concise statement of the gospel. Um, but in the context here, in this passage that we just read, it's kind of interesting because uh, this is not a passage about clarity. This is actually a passage with a lot of confusion and a lot of misunderstanding that's going on. It's about a man named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the cover of night and after talking with him leaves totally confused and baffled by what he has to say. 
And I'm glad for that. I'm, I'm glad that that's the way their interaction goes. Because his story plays out the way many of our stories play out. When we come to Jesus, it's sometimes a, a similar interaction. We come with misunderstandings, and we leave with some confusion. Um, we come with expectations of what it might mean to be a Christian or what it might mean to follow Jesus. And then when we hear him speak, those expectations get destroyed. They get ripped apart. They get transformed and, and changed. And so I think there's a lot for us here to gather. There's, there's some good things for us to learn, and that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to, to look at this story and see, first of all, the way that we typically approach Jesus. The ways that we instinctively approach him. So we'll see what Nicodemus does and, and we'll look at that. And then I want us to secondly look at the way Jesus corrects that approach. What Jesus has to say in response to him. And then finally, I want us to just talk about all the things that Jesus says and, and ask the question, why is this good news? So that's what we're looking at. The way we typically approach Jesus, the way Jesus corrects him, and then finally, why is this good news for us? So here we go. Verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so first of all, we've got to give Nicodemus some credit here. And I think John, the author of this book, does try to give him some credit because Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And Pharisees in Scripture don't usually have the best reputation, right? That's why the word today doesn't mean good things. Um, but a Pharisee, if you remember in Scripture, they were the experts in the law. They were the people who tried to learn every single rule that was in the Bible and, and get it down to a T and follow it. And their, their hope was to become more holy by doing that. But if you've read the Gospels before, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you've read any of those books, you realize that the Pharisees were frequently shown as Jesus' enemies. Uh, they're his harshest critics. And they're the people that Jesus criticizes most harshly, right? They're the kind of people who, who he says they miss the boat because, you know, they miss the forest from the trees. Following all these rules actually is, is not getting them closer to God, but it's pushing them further away from God. But Nicodemus is different. He is not your stereotypical Pharisee. Nicodemus does actually, in this chapter, he does something really hard. He goes against the crowd. He goes against his group of buddies. Rather than, than standing aside and, and critiquing Jesus, rather than standing in the corner and saying, you know, this guy's doing this, this, and this wrong, and he's, you know, forget about him. He's paying attention. He's listening to what Jesus has to say. You know, he's the... the guy at the, the table with the cool kids who, who doesn't want to make fun of the outcast, right? But instead, in his heart, he's thinking, well, maybe, maybe there's something to what that guy's saying. Maybe there's something to the things that he's doing and the things that he's, he's teaching. But of course, uh, he can't just go and say that out loud, right? You know, uh, it's like those those early episodes of Glee, like he's got a, the jock has to sneak to the Glee Club meeting, right? He doesn't want everybody else to know. So, so, he sneaks, you know, he sneaks out in the cover of night to talk to Jesus. 
Nicodemus comes and, and he addresses Jesus, and the first word he says is, is pretty simple. It's a, he says, rabbi, which means teacher. <clears throat> and even that word, Nicodemus is giving Jesus some respect, right? Because Nicodemus is the teacher. Nicodemus is, you know, Jesus is probably even younger than him. And, you know, it shows some, a sign of respect. But I think also that word from the outset shows us the problems with Nicodemus's approach. Um, it betrays a little bit of how Nicodemus was thinking, because Nicodemus truly was an expert. He was powerful. He was respected. He was, and he was truly, he was the best kind of expert, right? He was the kind of expert who wants to keep adding information, right? He wasn't the kind of person that thinks they've learned it all, but he, wants, he knows he hasn't, hasn't learned everything. He, he wants to, to gain some knowledge. He wants to hear new ideas. He wants to consider. He wants to grow. And that's how he comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus, to this teacher, as a, as a continuing education. He comes for a little bit extra knowledge. He hopes that, that he's going to have, Nicodemus hopes, that Jesus is going to have some information that will aid him in building a good and noble life. And isn't that the way a lot of us approach Jesus? We approach Jesus like he's a part of our continuing self-improvement project, right? Now, I know we have a few scoundrels here, right? Most of them are, are pastors, probably, but most, for the most part, this is a room full of good people. I would say you are some decent and upstanding folks. You, you care about others, and you, you care about uh, being, you know, worthwhile in this community. You're decent people. But the problem with being a decent person is that we can start thinking that stuff matters more than it does. We can start thinking that those things matter to God a lot more than it actually does. I mean, compare the way Nicodemus comes to Jesus saying, Rabbi, with, uh, I don't know, like the story of the prodigal son. Remember the son who got his inheritance early and then went and squandered it on all these terrible things? Comes to his senses, and when he, when he wants to come back to God, when he wants to come back to the Father, he doesn't say, you know, how can you help me out? He says, you know, I don't deserve to be your son. Just make me a servant. He comes with this sense of desperation, with this sense of, of need. But Nicodemus... He sees this man who's come from God, and his approach isn't evil, right? It's not smug. He's not a jerk about it, but, but he comes and he says, so tell me, what else do I need to do? You know, what more do I need to be good? And I think that's where a lot of us stand, right? We want to be good people. We want to be spiritual people. We want to be whatever. And so we come to Jesus and we say, tell me that extra thing I need. Tell me what I need to do. Give me some good ideas. And here's how Jesus responds to, to this introduction. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then verse 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, real quick. Let's just talk about this whole born-again thing. 
I recognize that saying the words born again now carry with it this enormous weight and this, all this cultural baggage, right? We think of born again, and we're already thinking of like a voting block, right? We're thinking of people that Donald Trump is pandering to, and it's not a, it's not a good association, right? <laughs> but we gotta put that aside here, because this is way before all that baggage, and this is an important point. We can't push this, these words aside. We have to hear what Jesus is saying. So I wanna invite you for just a second, try to imagine being Nicodemus here. Okay, imagine being uh, a well-respected, well-thought-of teacher of the law. Imagine that you are, you know, the right reverend Dr. Nicodemus, standing in the dark of night, speaking to this young preacher about how you might grow in godliness. And what he says to you is, you must be born again. He says, you don't need to worry about your growth. You don't need to be worried about growing because you haven't been born yet. You don't need to worry about next steps. You haven't even learned to crawl. He says, in essence, if you keep living the way that you're living, if you keep going the way that you're going, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You won't even see the kingdom of God. That's the first thing I want us to to notice here. The way we instinctively approach Jesus as a good teacher, as someone whose principles of living might help us develop a a well-rounded character, if we approach Jesus that way, it will get us nowhere. It's going to get us nowhere. So, Jesus corrects him. This is the second point. Jesus corrects the way Nicodemus approaches. If there's one thing I want you to notice, if there's one idea that you need to take away from what Jesus says here, it's it's pretty simple. He's trying to tell Nicodemus, there is no way to reach God on your own merit. He says, there is, is absolutely no way that you can reach God on your own merit. I mean, isn't that the whole idea behind the image of being born? This being born again picture. We just had a baby, right? You saw her. <laughs> she was up here. Um, I say we, but let's be honest. <laughs> uh, Melissa did the lion's share of the work. She had to, to carry this baby for, for nine months. And then uh, when the time for the delivery came, it was terrifying. It was, it was painful. It was an enormous uh, amount of effort. And... and Compared to what she did, you know, my amount of effort was relatively small. But let me say, I was happy to help out. Um, But you know who really did no work in this birth? Glory. She didn't do anything. (laughs) She participated zero (laughs) in the whole being born thing. And what Jesus is trying to tell us in this picture is that Christians don't give birth to themselves spiritually. Christians cannot reach God. They can't, just like a person can't give birth to themselves. And that right there is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Because every other religion, every other philosophy will tell you, here is the path to God. Do this, don't do that. Follow these rules, have this type of character, do this thing, aspire to this, and then you'll be there. Or, or here's the path to enlightenment. 
Here's the path to oneness with the universe. Learn to meditate. Practice this way. Do these exercises, etc. Everyone has a plan for things to do. And if you do them enough, if you learn them well enough, you'll make it. And you'll be there. But Jesus says, you can't do anything. He says, you need to be born again. And notice, he says you need to be born, right? This is what grammar, it's passive tense. It's something that you can't do. It's something that has to happen to you. Why is that? Why can't we just start learning? Why can't we just read the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount and just start trying to walk it out? And, and why, why isn't that enough to get us there? Well, Paul answers that question pretty clearly for us in Ephesians. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. He says the reason why we can't grow spiritually is because we are spiritually dead by nature. That we all come into this world in a status of of non-life. Spiritually, we are, we're dead. And that's the problem. And I think, in a sense, we all know it. I think every one of us, uh, at one point or another, starts to feel that sense of of lacking. I, I don't know how you would put it, maybe incompleteness. That we all have this sense, if we're being honest, that we're not quite what we want to be. We're always seeking more. We're always seeking a better job, a little more respect, or a new partner, or even a new idea. I think that's why some of us are are still uh, holding on to our inevitably doomed New Year's resolutions right now, right? We want to be better. We want to do better. We know that we're lacking. But we only have this one strategy, right? Our one strategy is what Paul says is to follow the world. We do the things we've heard other people have tried. (laughs) We try to do whatever it might be, whatever whatever new thing. We, We resolve not to do this or to do that. And that's our only plan. And along the way, you know, sometimes we might make little small steps in discipline, but we also hurt people. When we, we also sacrifice other people for the things we want. We also hurt ourselves in the pursuit of the things we want. And that's what the Bible talks about as sin. Sin is simply living with something other than God as your, your highest value. It's living a life away from God. And as we're doing that, as we're pursuing those things, what happens 100% of the time, we're not ever fulfilled, Right? Nothing ever seems to fill in that gap. Nothing we come up with ever seems to fill that void in our life. It's because we're spiritually dead. It's because we can come up with a lot of things, but the one thing we can't come up with is God. (laughs) The one thing we don't turn to is His Word. The one thing we don't turn to is Jesus. Jesus talks to Nicodemus this way because He's trying to tell him, dead people don't need a program. They don't need to lose 10 pounds or learn to meditate. They don't need to go to church more often. Dead people need life. Dead people need life. 
So Jesus says to this great man, the same thing that he says to every single one of us in this room. The only way you're ever going to fill that void, the only thing that's ever going to make you feel complete, the only thing that's ever going to make you alive is the Spirit of God in you. You must be born again. So now you're probably thinking, okay, well, how do I do that? Jesus anticipates that question. Here's what he says in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. I don't know if you caught that, but basically he says, you can control it about as much as you can control the wind. He says, you can't. You can't. How, how, are you, how do you do that? Well, you can't do that. Now you might be thinking, well, that kind of stinks. <laughs> that's, that's not helpful. Um, but actually, there's, there's, some good infer- there's some good news in there. It's actually great news if you think about it. Because if there was anyone who deserved it, if there was anyone who could have earned it, it would have been Nicodemus, right? If there was somebody who who should have been on the inside track with God. It's this upright, outstanding, free-thinking, honorable man in the society. If anybody deserved to be in, it was Nicodemus. But what this tells us, when Jesus says you, you can't do it that way, it tells us at the very least that salvation isn't just the prerogative of the elite. right? It doesn't just belong to the 1% who understand all these concepts, who spend their their time and energy investing in these ideas, who have the money and the resources to commit to it. It doesn't belong to the 1%. Jesus doesn't just save the people who, quote, deserve it. His salvation comes to anybody who he pleases. And that's why in your life, you probably realize that sometimes the holiest people you meet are not the ones who meet all the qualifications, right? One of the holiest people I've ever known was a, a 75-year-old grandma. I don't even know if she, she ever went to, to high school. But she knew the Lord. God's Spirit moves where it pleases. He saves who He wants to. That's why Paul... Later in Galatians, gets to loudly proclaim that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's why here, in this community, in this community that is is decidedly post-Christian, that is racially, socioeconomically diverse, and often very divided, the church sees people coming to faith across every boundary you could think of. And we're going to see more. Because Jesus tells us, other religions, they're about what you have to do to get to God. They're about what you have to do to earn it. But Christianity is totally different. Christianity tells us that God has to give us life. That's what Jesus tells us. <laughs> we try to approach God through our own efforts, through the things that we can do like Nicodemus does. But then he says, there is no approaching God. There's no such thing. So, 
Now we just got to ask this last question. Why is this good? Why is it good news for us that there is no approaching God? When this was being read, when, when Jen read it for us, did you notice how quickly Nicodemus stopped talking in this passage? Our passage went to verse 21, and, and Nicodemus' last words are in uh, verse 9. Jesus tells him you can't earn it, and his last thing he says is, how can these things be? It's not difficult to understand why he shuts up, right? He says, how could this thing, these things be? This isn't what I wanted to hear. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> and Jesus responds in a really interesting way. He pretty much says, you should already know what you're supposed to do. Verse 10, he says, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand all these things? He tells him, you should already know what you're supposed to do because it's already written here in this book that you've been studying your entire life. The answer is, is right there. It's plain. And then Jesus illustrates this point by referring to an Old Testament story. Verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, so that's, that's an Old Testament deep cut for most of us, right? That's kind of like on the, the back shelf of Old Testament stories. Not, not everybody, I would imagine, knows exactly where that one is. That's why we put it as our Old Testament reading, and maybe while we were reading it, you were like, what is going on here with these snakes? It is a wild story, right? It's in Numbers. People are getting bitten by snakes. They're in the desert. They're scared. And God miraculously delivers them through one of the strangest things in, I know of, right? It's a, it's a statue of a, a serpent that they're supposed to look at. And when they look at it, they're delivered. If for an extra deep cut, Second Kings tells us that hundreds of years later, they had to destroy that snake statue because people started worshiping it, right? It's a, so it's a strange story. <laughs> but it's a story of God delivering his people in this miraculous way by their faith in this activity. What's that all mean, though? Okay, so now I need to talk about the Bible for a second. You guys got your Bibles? A lot of people have paper Bibles. Open those up and look at them for a second. Um, what page is this on? Somebody who's there. Five, what? 577. Okay, 577. You'll see uh, in verse 16, there's little quotation marks right at the beginning. It's trying to tell us, if you've got a red-letter Bible, this whole paragraph's in red. It's trying to tell us that this is a continuation of the dialogue between these two guys. Um, but here's the thing. What you're holding in your hand is an English translation of a Greek text. And the truth about Greek is it does not have quotation marks. And so the way we find out if something is spoken is we have to look at what's going on in the rest of the, the chapter. Um, thankfully, this is a great Bible translation, and it's very reliable. But as I've looked through it this week, most scholars think uh, that, that this is not something Jesus spoke. But that the end of their conversation happens right after that thing about the snake. And here's why that's important. <laughs> Jesus leaves Nicodemus totally baffled in this conversation. <laughs> but then John, the author of our gospel, offers us this reflection and he does it in a way that it's very consistent with the way he talks in the rest of the gospel. I'm, I'm pretty strongly persuaded, but even if you read it the other way, it doesn't make a huge difference. 
But here's what he's saying. He's saying what we've said the whole time. We have no hope. We are spiritually dead. We are sinners. We deserve judgment. We can't approach God. We can't reach God. And we should all be asking the same questions that Nicodemus is asking. Well, how can that be? What am I supposed to do now? And John says this, But God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He says we can't reach God, but God loves the world, so he came to reach us. Not just the elite, not just the teachers of the law, not even just the Jewish people, but the whole world. He loves the world so much that he gave his only son. It tells us he didn't do that. He didn't, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. <laughs> we handled that part on our own. But the message of the gospel is that God came to make a way for our salvation by sending his son, by sending God the son to rescue us, to pay the penalty for our sins, to, to, to bear the rejection of God that we earned by his death on the cross. In that moment of his crucifixion, God took, Jesus took the rejection that we earned and gave us the acceptance that he earned. That's John's word to us right now. That's what he's trying to tell us in this passage. God has come for you. Turn to him. Turn to him in faith and live. So that brings us to this very final thing. How do I know if I've been born again? How can I tell? You know, Nicodemus, I would say, is not born again in this moment. I don't know. But he leaves pretty confused. But it's not the last time we hear from him. Since you got those Bibles out, you can flip with me to chapter 19. It's just a few pages later. John chapter 19, verse 38. This is right after Jesus' crucifixion. And it tells us, after Jesus' crucifixion, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came, and he took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, and about, 70, about 75 pounds in weight. He goes on to tell us that he, he prepared Jesus' body for burial. If you think about it, it's a pretty radical difference, right? Instead of coming by cover of night, here is, is Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea approaching Pilate for his body. Instead of coming in this, this proud posture, he, he takes on the duty that was often reserved for, for servants, preparing a dead body for burial. What happened in between those two chapters? What happened between chapter 3 and chapter 19? Well, we can't be certain, uh, but I think it's a reasonable guess that he saw the cross. I think it's a reasonable guess that he saw Jesus nailed to the cross and he saw the cross pulled up 
to standing, and he realized what Jesus was talking about when he said, you need to see the Son of Man lifted up. I think in that moment, he, he would have seen his sin <laughs> and what it cost, what it took to pay the penalty for him, and realize that there was no amount of being good that was ever going to win his salvation. But whenever that happened, that was the moment when he was born again. So what about you? If you're looking at your life, if you look at your week, do you realize that even some of the best things that you've done are filled with with sin and, and selfishness? If you look at yourself, are you recognizing this fact that, that you are a sinner? That, that you can't do it on your own? That you don't just need a little bit extra? We, you don't just need one more thing to put you over the top, but what you need is a Savior. What you need is a new life. Well, there's good news for us today. If you see those things, if you acknowledge that those things are true, then, then God's Spirit is already at work. He has already come to you. And I want to invite you. I want to invite you, like Nicodemus, to see the Son of Man lifted up for your sins. I want to invite you to see him here at this table, the body of Christ given for you, his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. I want to invite you to see that and come. Come for the first time. Come for the 500th time. And recognize that the sacrifice that's been given on your behalf is all you need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for these famous verses that we've carried with us, that you love us, and that you came to save us. Lord, I pray that you would teach that truth to our hearts, and I pray for anyone here who isn't sure. I pray that you do what you do, that you'd come get them that you'd wake them up to the reality of your presence, that you'd show them that you have come for sinners. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.